Welcome for Outlander Season 1, Episode 1, Sassanac. I'm Don Bitters. And I'm Nick Stone. And this is Gaelic Guys, an Outlander podcast where we watch Outlander, drink scotch, and let you know our terribly uninformed opinions about both. Outlander is a star series based on the novels by Diana Gabaldon about an English military nurse from 1945 finds herself transported back in time to 1743 Scotland. We're currently in Droughtlander as the third season has just wrapped up. We've just watched the pilot, Sassanac, and it was honestly way more entertaining than I remembered it to be. Yeah. So just for context, so I'm partially re-watching this. Well, Nick is coming to this, having seen other episodes, with a bit more of a uh, fresh eyes take on it. Yeah, this was the first time I saw the episode. Episode pretty much follows the first journey and sets up pretty much most of the major characters for the show, including Claire, played by Katrina Balfe, her husband, Frank Randall, uh, Jamie, who is, of course, you know, heartthrob of the show, and our damsel in distress, as well as uh, Captain Blackjack Randall, also played by Tobias Menzies, who plays Frank, mm. uh, as they're related. Frank is Blackjack Randall's descendant. I can say that like that seems far fetched, but having like come from like a, my father and having looked at like, his yearbooks at one point and just being like, "Oh, my dad was me, but kind of creepier," which is the exact same scenario here. I, right. It's very realistic in that sense. I mean, I think that part's realistic. I it, it stretches my suspension of disbelief when jumping ahead, uh, Claire goes to the past, and the first person she talks to, she a knows his name, b distantly related to through marriage and also he looks exactly like her husband it's like wow that worked out in a very interesting way this is also a show though that you've already established you're like oh yeah magic yeah so magic in the plot isn't out of the question either right yeah it's 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 all fair game and it it comes across well but at that moment i did go wait a minute (laughs) but the thing i have to give the show a lot of credit for is taking something that could be an extremely silly otherwise ridiculous premise mm. and actually grounding it yeah. in a lot of different ways yeah by making it have this larger scope but also by giving you all this historical accuracy which for a show that is ostensibly about sex and violence mm. is something that you wouldn't ordinarily have mm. so I, I kind of really appreciated the fact that they had that level of detail yeah definitely i think it's the it's the only thing that sort of makes it workable because there are so many fantastic elements you start off with the idea of traveling back in time and it's like okay we have to suspend disbelief for that and so you have to have a real enough world otherwise that that's something you can accept as you know sort of on the margin of this very very uh true story of like how people interact with one another and how they feel and the very real human emotions at work that make it feel like something believable on some level yeah, what was I think also really interesting was throughout all this, and like especially even considering both time periods that it takes place in, Claire is an extremely liberated woman. Mm. Like in terms of like just the matter of fact about her sexuality, about what she wants, she kind of is like the badass. The first thing she does, she's thrown into the past. She's just escaped like live gunfire. The first thing she does after that is to take this huge man, which is hilarious because. That's also his name. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, the character Jamie, to basically take this man and like just yank his arm into position and then immediately like administer almost like, I guess you would call it a wartime wound of like mm. to this bullet wound to what looks like his neck. Yeah. 
So she's someone who's really kind of just taking hold hold and taking control of every situation she's in. Right. And I really admire that they, they, they show you that she's competent and confident and capable rather than sort of telling you that. We were, we were talking before we started recording about how one of my pet peeves with the TV show Scandal is that the main character, Olivia Pope, is constantly described as the most competent person in the world. But then everything you see on screen is her in a state of paralysis from terrible emotional distress. And so you don't get you you rarely see that capability. And this in one episode, they really establish that Claire is in control and master of her own domain that way by yeah. just showing you the things she's capable of. I really appreciate early on Claire and Frank come back together after the war. And obviously things are strained. They haven't seen each other in what something like five years. That's that's an inherently awkward situation. But you'll notice Claire. Speaking of her, how capable she is, she she does all of the emotional labor of trying to rekindle their sex life and restart that part of their marriage. You know, while Frank is very timid and you know, understandably so, but she's doing the heavy lifting there I, I feel too. Like this is also the matter of the character where she like she's she, she just wants some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's 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 not shy about showing that though. You know, yeah. which. Uh, might might be seen as out of character in that period of time. They, you know, during the uh, palm reading scene, they sort of allude to the fact that she's not afraid to enjoy sex. Which you know, in an episode that also has characters trying to decide whether or not she's a whore. Yeah. So it's like it's a commentary like on that character, but I think it's just a matter of that fact that they made that character so by design, someone who's so definitive in what they want that that kind of has bled into all these other pieces of their their performance. I was trying to decide early on in this episode if um, Frank Randall's middle name was either Exposition or Mansplain. And (laughs) throughout the entire beginning of this part, it's like, huh, I happen to know some really important facts about a time period that you will be time traveling to in a minute. Let's talk about it for no reason. For example, when they go to check into the inn, it's like, oh, what's the blood over the doors about? And the innkeeper's like, oh, let me tell you, because I live here and I'm familiar with this and I'm a woman of the Scottish people. And then immediately after that one fact, Frank is like, I will take over now. Let me explain to you how Sawin is the predecessor of Halloween. And, you know, I'm an expert in Scotland at yeah, this, this point. They, yeah, he's basically just like mansplaining his way through Scotland. Right. Which is kind of what an Englishman would do anyway. But. Right. It's, it's, it's perfectly appropriate. And, you know, no one blinks at the time because... Of course, they wouldn't. But it's one of those things, you know, I understand the, the limits of uh, the, the storytelling form here. They have to cram mm. a lot of exposition into this first episode to make yeah. sure that we get to a point where we understand where the story's going and how interesting yeah. it is. But there are a couple of moments, including the Blackjack Randall thing I was talking about earlier, where it's like, it's awfully convenient that that happened. Well, yeah, it's basically the old man being like, don't go up to that cabin. Right. It's like she's basically being fed all this information and thus sealing her own fate. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 on that border between like foreshadowing and Chekhov's gun where it's like, oh, English troops used to hide up there and ambush Scottish people. Bet you didn't know that. Anyway, <laughs> there's a different rock over here. That's not Yeah, we don't hear about the, the other rocks. It's probably a longer drive. We only see part of it. But again, you know, you get that condensed version of the story and a lot of a lot of coincidences. Going to the same castle. Yeah. yeah. Which I have to give props to, like, in terms of how many actual castles they shot in mm. in, in that area. So I, I was really enjoying the first 
scene of them exploring the castle because up to that point you know the first part of the episode they kind of set up frank randall as this amazing husband in my opinion where he's like dashing looking and noble and like he's been doing this important but you know thankless and terrible job during the war he's smart he's adventurous he's going to this castle and then you know oh you, you know go into the castle and like immediately he's you know ready to go downtown you know it's like there's a giving man you know he's he's there and then later you know yeah. they get back to their room and he's even like you know if anything happened during the war i don't care i love you so much and so it's like wow this seems like a really super decent dude i hope that there's nothing that happens to it you know it's almost like a mob enforcer thing mm, it was a nice marriage you got here <laughs> shame if anything were to happen to it so jamie our scottish highlander jamie <laughs> Oh, wow. So handsome. Poor Frank Randall. How does he stand a chance? Jamie, who it really is one of the main characters of the show, mm. uh, is someone who, like, he's barely in this episode, but essentially because this is Claire's story, that it's something where he's set up really, really well against Claire because she's this very liberated woman, knows what she wants, demands it, even from, you know, tough Scottish Jacobite rebels. The counterbalance for that is Jamie, who is, you know, played by Sam Hewen, shorthandy. He's a huge man. Huge man. So for someone who is so, like, incredibly imposing, like, physically, to basically be straight-up damsel in distress yeah, is amazing. Yeah, even the way they stage it for much of his introduction. I mean, he's on a low stool. He's practically, you know, squatting mm-hmm. in the first part. So you don't get the sense of this, like, imposing muscular dude. It's this yeah. wounded bird that, you know... Claire sort of swoops in on and saves from the further torture of his fellow Scotsman's attempt to repair his dislocated shoulder, which is going to break his arm, according to her. And so it's like the, they make a really great vignette in which she is the savior in this case. And then again and again throughout the episode, mm-hmm. he is the one who is in trouble more than she is, even though by all sort of typical storytelling she's you know thrown into the past she's she has no idea what's happening she's a woman in a time period that's not particularly friendly to women as most aren't but you know like yeah i think we're still living in that time period. yes we're still we're we're in the past of that particular story still but they somehow make her definitely the hero throughout you know and not that jamie doesn't get his chance to be heroic and dashing and capable of killing english redcoats with one good arm yeah, it's the the show is very much one of those like romance erotica novels with Fabio on the cover. With Fabio yeah. on the cover, like yeah. hair in the breeze, kilt in the breeze, but at the same time, it actually decided to be like, what if what if someone took one of those seriously? Right. It manages to both be this thing that is very much like about the sex, about the violence, because mm-hmm. there is plenty of that, but also manages to give you characters that you care about. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked a little bit about the sort of, like, dynamic between Claire and Jamie when she's uh, treating him medically, you know, and he's, like, totally at her mercy. One of my favorite scenes from this episode is when they run into a British ambush, and, you know, she she's cast aside and is running through the woods, and Jamie finds her again and goes through some long speech about, you don't look very heavy, so I could throw you over my shoulder and carry you. Is that what you want? And you know desperately inside that she wants to say yes. But she says no, which, you know, makes sense. But it, they, they, that's, that's like that first kernel of the, like, 
Maybe it's just know, us it's, that would say yes. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. That's what I'm thinking. You know, I also think like they, you know, she sets his shoulder early on, and then and then immediately they like they're putting everyone on horses, and it's like, oh, we're just gonna strap you in in front of the incredibly good-looking young man who's the cleanest of us all. And I'd I'd like to see the version of the story where she like goes from like laying hands on this hunky hunky man. And then is immediately put outside and strapped to like the dirtiest, fattest Scotsman <laughs> on a horse, and somehow it's a Which less you romantic have your picture. Pick of right? Yeah, they definitely they like, have that covered. Jamie's a standout. Like, right. This is this is straight up just like yeah, you, everything you like. Oh, you want to assume about the Scottish? Like, <laughs> Rubble's like no. Nope, here you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Here's a bunch of those, and then a pristine god. Yeah. We are walking stereotypes, and then here's a supermodel. I'll enter on the CW. You know, they meet up after the ambush, and then they're, like, taking a drink. Claire's had to pretend she didn't want to be thrown over her shoulder. I wish. So, like, very, very beginning of the episode, she's given, like, a champagne bottle to celebrate the victory in Europe of World War II. Mm -hmm. And she just downs that thing. That first scene's incredible, because she's downing that champagne, and it's like, everyone else is celebrating victory. But, of course, she's just come from this horrific injury scene in the you know medical tent or whatever and so she's really she's she's drinking to forget something (laughs) just like she's trying to drink later to forget how hungry she is but it's like some sort of like fix on like wartime and the adventure of it all and i mean this is honestly just something i don't even think about now like she's a little bit ptsd almost oh yeah i mean i'm i'm sure and it's not something they would think of that way then but like how could you not be from those well think of her like in terms of like the fact that she's most comfortable in the situations where things seem to be most out of her control the fact is that those are the scenes where like she's in those situations where things are not normal is where Mm. she has the most power yeah having watched this episode now like so much of the parts that take place kind of in the, I guess you can't say modern day, but like the, the future. Right. Considering so much of the show takes place in the past is shot like a horror film. Mm. I didn't know that they were doing a spooky Halloween episode <laughs> in season for the first thing, but with the time travel themes in the show, it makes oh, sense. Oh yeah. No, I think we're good there. All the, like the, the structure of it is like straight up out of like American werewolf and, in London or mm. out of like any of these like couple goes to small town oh no weird things are starting to happen creepy people are around watching them doing creepy things they even straight up have the lights go out and it's still shot that way throughout for most of it even when she's actually in the past it's almost like someone's watching her in terms of cinematography but the, the hilarious thing is like it's all offset with super upbeat music that like defeats any potential dread or horror that it might otherwise build Right, like I think they do a really great job of um, introducing the element of magic all throughout the beginning parts of this episode. And at first it's kind of cute and it's like, oh, there's blood above the doors and let me read your tea leaves. But it gets, you know, as as they build sort of towards the middle part of the episode and where you're like forced to confront actual sorcery. They're, they're giving you the idea way in advance and they give you that spooky, spooky feeling. That is completely undercut by Bear McCreary's score. <laughs> in a in a totally good way. I'm not oh, complaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I feel like maybe at one point this pilot was presented as like just a straight up horror film and they're like, Oh, okay, but but it also has sex. So you I, kinda get those two things. This, and you this know, show is yeah. about bodies in more ways than one. Yes. Yeah, this is part of the, the, the horror film setup. We're having this like ghostly Scotsman 
who's watching Claire. I, I wouldn't say undressed, but like... She's brushing her hair. I think it plays into the theme of uh, sort of Claire as stable and hero throughout this episode when, you know, Frank comes in and says, I'm not sure I haven't seen a ghost, you know, and he's had this kind of metaphysical experience that he mm-hmm. can't quite explain and Claire sort of patiently sits and listens to him, you know, and like, you know, doesn't dismiss him, but it's like, you know. What I actually really wonder is like that, if that doesn't have like a payoff, Right. In, like, the final episode of the show or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be extraordinarily disappointing because that seems like such an obvious thing of, like, that's clearly Jamie. Right. That's, I mean, that's the obvious thought, you know, certainly. Yeah, or unless, and, like, that's his ghost. Right. And, I mean, they they make it seem like, because, you know, the rules we know of time travel are that you travel through time and then you're a solid being who interacts with people, like, normal mm-hmm. ways. And in this case, this scottish specter does not you know he disappears instantly when he turns around frank says he should have felt him push his shoulder and he didn't so it seems like this is something else doctor who and like is traveling through time hopefully the shows will merge if if that was the case the doctor finally gets to be a junior uh i'm really looking forward to the alliance between the redcoats and the daleks (laughs) that exterminate but only specifically scotsman we haven't yet talked about the druid scene, you know, where we kind of the culmination of this pre-time travel magic when we have an actual like druid ritual by contemporary 1940s scotch people. And it's like, yeah, I'm not quite sure what's happening here. There seem to be candles and dancing and they're all ladies. They were trying not to call them witches. Yeah, they they definitely they definitely called them witches. I think we're allowed at that point. Right. Yeah. They weren't self-identified witches in this case. But that that was great. And it was followed immediately by classic Bear McCreary big drum score. Like, listening to the intro and everything, uh, you know, the composer does an amazing job of, like, capturing the spirit of the different shows he's in. So, like, Battlestar Galactica, yeah. probably the show he was first got known for. It's, like, all big drums and, like, great stuff. And it sounds like yeah. space battles. Which, and then... which, which, to point out, this show is also coming from the... One of the creators of the new Bellstar Galactica, Ronald D. Moore. So. Right, yeah. So a, a great collaboration. And so uh, another series McCreary worked on was, uh, was Da Vinci's Demons. Mm-hmm. And he got actual period instruments from like Renaissance period mm-hmm. performance practice players to play on that. And this too, like the opening music. It's, you know, beautiful, epically Scottish music, you know. And then you have like bagpipes and fiddles and different percussion instruments, bowerins and things like that. Have you run out of the Scottish instruments that you know? I Not quite. Not quite. There's probably a couple of tin whistles. And I mean, maybe those are more pan-Celtic instruments. But anyway, we're treated after this scene to just like classic giant drum, like mega dance party oh, kind yeah, of the stuff. the Scottish and, dance party. Yeah, the Scottish dance party. Exactly. And it's uh, it, it brought joy to my heart to hear that part. <laughs> As much as I was loving the bagpipes, this, you know, really took oh, there it to are bagpipes in there still. Yes. They just turned oh, yeah. it up to 11. Oh, yeah. There's, there's no joking how many bagpipes show up. But yeah. the, other, the, the drums really added something for me as a drummer. That being all I care about in my life, that's, you know, that's really, that's really where it landed for me. We should talk about the last scene. And, you know, Claire has fixed up Jamie multiple times now. Poor wounded bird that he is. <laughs> And they ride all night, and they show up at this castle that she was in only, what, two days ago, she says. But she also knows it's in the future. 
because she has finally come to accept, albeit like later than you would hope, that she's actually in the past. Yeah. And perhaps this is, you know, a factor of living in the time period we do, and there's plenty of time travel related science fiction that we've all absorbed that I would hope that I would catch on, that I had time traveled a little bit sooner. But how could you possibly know how disorienting it would be to actually travel to a different time? And I think it's that last scene where she sees the castle, which is no longer a ruin and is an actual castle with people living and working in it, that she understands deeply that she's just begun her journey, as she says at that point. Just as part of keeping with the themes of the show, we've been... uh... Start, basically, we're going to have a Scotch of the Week for every episode of this. This week, we're trying out the Silver Seal. It's a Speyside Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. It's a Edinburgh-based Scotch, and it's actually, quite honestly, I've not had a whole lot of Scotch. And I'm basically, as I think you said, we're both coming into this as like Scotch neophytes. Oh, totally. Um, but yeah. by, the, by the end of the series, I think we'll both be like masters. Well, either this. that or raging alcoholics. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe I think they go hand in hand. Yeah, they they might be they might be related. But yeah, but this is I, I I really enjoyed this scotch. Smooth, little smoky. The things you kind of hope to see in a scotch if you know two things about scotch. This is like really good to actually have something that's of at least a certain like level of quality. Right. Yeah. So that's our first episode of Gaelic Guys. We'll be talking to you again in about a week's time. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And rate and review us on iTunes. That really helps boost us in the ratings to become the world's most popular podcast, which, oh, yeah, we, yeah. which we hope to do um, by the end of the week. So yeah. if you could get on it, that That's would be great. That's the conservative estimate. Yeah.